0: All right, so if you need one of the handouts, grab one of the handouts, Witnessing Like Jesus. Anyway, thank you guys for coming tonight into this pre-service. It's the early time, and so let's do our best to see what we can do to get through some of this. All right, as we were looking at this, uh, let me kind of work through this. Let me make sure that this thing is on. All right, so here we go now. Um, Witnessing Like Jesus. This is yesterday. I'm just going to kind of move through this really fast uh, to to the next spot of where we have it there. And so we're talking about the natural realm. We swing the conversation to the spiritual realm. Go to John 4 as we're doing this. And and hopefully, again, this is helpful. We're looking at witnessing like Jesus. How did Jesus do it? Uh, We kind of began and began to look at how he began talking to her about water. I mean, he's there at a well, and he's going to key in on the fact of the water. And he, he asked her for a drink of water. Again, she's shocked by this. Um, Jesus then takes that conversation, moves it to a spiritual realm. Um, But even considering this in a simple way of having conversations with people, how can we have normal conversations? And I would also encourage you that would be much more normal than to blow them up with a gospel bomb, Um, you know, to tell them, do you realize if you died right now, you would go to hell? Well, that could be true, but are, are you sure they're lost people? Um, and there's an element where we sometimes are just so forward with just like, it's just like, whoa, we, who are you? And you just blew me up with the gospel in a sense, sort of. Um, and so to me, I think when you watch Christ now, you could say, I mean, Nicodemus, he kind of blew him up with the gospel. I mean, so I'm not going to, I mean, really you have Nicodemus who, you know, teacher, we know your teacher, you know, from God and stuff too. And then Jesus says, well, marvel not that I tell you, you got to be born again. I mean, like right away, he cuts to the chase. He knew what was in his heart and he knew what he needed then. So again, I'm kind of, I don't want to, I don't want to push too strong in one way. You can see Jesus in different realms uh, sharing the gospel. Here's a lady. He begins in this natural realm, speaking of something she can relate to, it's water. And then he moves it from that natural realm to the spiritual realm. As he does that, Um, This takes courage, we said. This is a a difficult thing. And yet Jesus is mentioning the things of God. Um, You know, and so one simple way of getting to a spiritual realm is you're having a normal conversation with a person. It may very well be that you ask them about their church background. Like, hey, do you go go to church around here somewhere? And um, you're talking to a neighbor, you're talking to somebody else. Um, And again, maybe a stranger, but you're moving it to a spiritual realm. And actually, the church question, or even the... Hey, who's your pastor? Question after I ask the church question, that's all to me diagnostic. So I'm just kind of taking in info a little bit as they're talking to me. It helps me to know somewhat where they're coming from. And um, now, if they tell me church, I would never darken the door of a church. I, I'm not gonna not. Sh- I'm not gonna g- not go to the gospel. I still will, but it just tells me to be careful as I, as I make my way that direction. And uh, because obviously they've they've experienced some kind of a. Um, something bad experience at church, you know, something like that. So anyway, that's kind of something I kind of challenge you. I even challenge you about a gospel track, pass on a gospel track. Hey, did you get one of these? It shows you the greatest news ever. And um, gospel tracts are great to have around. I think you guys have tracks within your church, too. So grab some of those and put them in specific places. Maybe have, have a couple in your car. Why not have some in your car somewhere that you can pull out? Because you never know when you've got a gospel conversation with a person. And so that can be a real help. And then number three tonight, as we look at this passage, and I told you this is the key. And what I'm talking about tonight, if you, if you neglect this, a person cannot be saved. And I say that because if a person does not understand their own sinful condition, then what are they being saved from? And I think we want to sugarcoat things. We want to sometimes not have that uncomfortable feeling with people, but actually it's that uncomfortable feeling, that conviction that God uses to then bring them to a saving knowledge of Christ. So they they actually need the conviction but none of us like to feel uncomfortable and we don't like to naturally make people feel uncomfortable. If you do like to naturally make people feel uncomfortable, you're weird. Okay. That's weird. All right. Cause I think we, we don't, we don't want that naturally. So we steer away from it. So here it is. Number three, Jesus brings conviction using the law. We're talking about not the Levitical system, not the 613 kind of laws um, you know, you got to have a parapet around your roof in a certain way, your beard needs to be trimmed a certain way, I mean, then all that kind of stuff, and praise God, we are not under that, okay, which is so funny, because sometimes you meet people and they're, they're wanting to follow certain aspects of that, and I like to, you know, ask them more questions. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, do you have a parapet around your, around your rooftop? Why not? You better follow those laws better, you know. We're not under that Levitical system, but there's an element of the moral law. That's what I'm speaking about even tonight. So we're going to talk about that. Let me pray and just ask God's help. Father, I know tonight's uh, lesson in one sense is, is moves fast, and I ask God you'd give me wisdom and discernment and how to best speak this. And then I pray would you work in our hearts and empower us, equip us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, we see Jesus speaking to her. Remember, she says to him in verse 11, she says, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? And are you greater than our father Jacob? And he gave us the well and drank from it himself, as it did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. And then he says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. I mean, it, it, the, the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life, the everlasting life. Are, are you kidding me? The woman, she said, well, well sir, then give me this water so that I, that I will not be thirsty, nor have to come here to draw water. And this is, again, John 4, and that was just verse 15. I mean, now she's inquisitive. She's gone from being sarcastic to, to, to now all of a sudden, what is he really talking about? She still doesn't really quite get it, but there's an element of like, that would be a great blessing. Cause again, she's gone between a mile and two miles round trip. And why? I mean, she, there is much closer wells and why is she all alone? And again, you're kind of seeing already her being highlighted within the culture. And so we go further. Notice the next verse, verse 16, Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Now, can I tell you, he is doing something that you and I cannot do? He knows her without ever knowing, knowing her, in a sense. You know what I mean? Like, he, he knows her. He, he's never met her, in a sense. But I, I tell people, you might not know Jesus, but he knows you. He's got your number. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he knows everything about you. So, again, For him to say this is is just amazing. Why don't you go get your husband and bring him here? Now, he knows what he's doing because he's going to key in on the fact, and she's going to clearly see her sin really fast. And you can imagine the woman who's so shocked by what he's been saying at every moment. The woman answered to him and said, "Um, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, well, you're right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This is a Jewish rabbi. This is a religious leader. How does he know this about five failed marriages? Now consider that hurt. I mean, some of you maybe have have experienced whether you or within your own family a divorce and how hurtful that is. And yet to think, give it a couple years, and here's another marriage, and then another divorce, and then another marriage, another divorce, and another one. And we're talking if it's if it's five failed marriages, and let's say you gave them at least two years in between, that's ten years. That's a ton of hurt. And yet here she is. Forget the commitment. It doesn't work. She's openly living with a guy in other words open adultery and with that in the culture i mean she is exposed and the jewish rabbi knows this about her he wasn't he wasn't mean did you notice even the phraseology of how he spoke to her he didn't say woman you know what you are but he says go get your husband and bring him here Oh, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five, actually. And the one you're now living with is not even your husband. I guess you did speak a little truth. How does she feel right now speaking to a Jewish rabbi, a religious leader, and he knows this about her? How do you think she feels? Ashamed? maybe dirty or filthy, like, ah, oh, like, and then, and again, even more shocked. How do, how do you know this? Uh, we just met. Whoa. So she is shocked consistently. I've heard some people preach this passage, uh, at least maybe one person, maybe at one point in time or whatever was kind of describing it, kind of making it sound like, well, she's trying to lure Jesus. Like, you know, I have no husband or something like this. And I'm thinking, what are, are you reading the context? She's shocked by everything consistently. So there's no luring of Jesus in that sense, too. And here you've got Jesus clearly confronting her in her own sin, which is so important. Now, I, will t- I want to show you a couple of things. One would be, find, it, find the book of Galatians. And I, and I want you to see um, Galatians chapter 4, as it begins to speak about um, the law and the schoolmaster. Um, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, verse 24, it says, So then the law was our guardian, our tutor, our schoolmaster, you could say, um, until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith, this schoolmaster that would bring us to Christ. I mean, you consider the law and the need of the law. Actually, you can go to the book of Romans in Romans chapter 7. Look at Romans 7 and look at verse seven, Paul actually says this, he says, what shall we say that the law is sin? And he says, by no means, he's saying, of course it's not yet. I, if, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet. If the law had said, had not said you shall not covet in other words, the law showed me my error. The law showed me God's standard and his standard is perfection and showed me where I went so wrong. It's like I meet people and sometimes people think that somehow, you know, the, if I just keep the law, I'll make it to heaven. No, for one thing, you can't. It's impossible to keep God's moral laws perfectly. And the truth is, you still have the problem. You, you were born a sinner. So you have this double problem. You're born a sinner and you can't keep his law perfectly. Even if at this moment, from here on out, you could somehow keep the moral laws of God perfectly, you still got your past sin problem and you can't keep it perfectly. And the whole point is the law starts to show us our sinfulness and our need for a savior. Now this is so key because if a person can't come face to face with God's moral laws, then how how are you going to see your sin? And so therefore, I would just suggest to you one easy way of coming face to face with God's moral laws would be to know the Ten Commandments pretty well. I mean, you begin to consider even the Ten Commandments. I don't know if you've ever thought through them. We kind of do this sometimes with on your fingers and use your fingers to kind of help you kind of consider what they are. Commandment number one of the Ten Commandments. Can anyone remember what that one is? Yeah, no other gods before the one true God. So you kind of think of it as the one true God. There should be no other gods before him. Actually, in one sense, last night's message, I mean, loving him supremely. Why? Because he is is supreme. He is king. Anything short of that is called idolatry. Let me ask you this question. Have you at all moments in your life loved the Lord and, and has him as your savior, as Lord King, supremely? Have you loved him that way, supremely all of your life? No, are you kidding me? We, 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 the one true God. We go after all kinds. And in America, we're a little different than maybe Hindu, you know, in the sense of you know, you know, maybe have them all on your shelf. But the truth is, in America, we do have gods, don't we? And we pursue all kinds of stuff. You know, you th- talk about a talk about a a, a a worship assembly sometimes on a Sunday afternoon in a stadium. Um, it is a, we we can worship things, can't we? Um, so you got that one there, and idolatry. You got commandment number two. What's that one? No graven images, and so you got to kind of like kind of take that middle finger and kind of point it down a little bit too. The idea is it's kind of bowing down. It's like in, in a graven image, a uh, really making God into an image that's kind of somewhat suit you in a sense too. And we can do this in other realms. I mean, you can have that in a different kind of culture where they could worship all kinds of things, like the like the animals. I had a girl actually at camp this summer come up to me, and she 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 actually said to me, she said, "Hey, I don't believe any of this stuff." It was like the beginning of the week, and I'm preaching. It was my first night speaking there. And uh, it's in kind of upper Wisconsin. And she says, I don't believe any of this stuff. I kind of came here because I think my mom a long time ago came to the camp here. And so she, so she was like 14. She says, I actually worship. She goes, I, I actually worship animals. Like I, I speak to them and they speak to me. And um, she kind of would call herself a Wiccan at times too. You know, it's kind of really funny. And I didn't re- respond to that. I go, oh, really? And uh, well, that's interesting. I said, <laughs> you know, you, you speak to animals and they speak to her. Yeah, I can do it. it kind of through my mind and stuff too. I'm thinking, oh, that is interesting. I said, you know, what's, you know you, so you worship the animals. Do you know who made all those animals? I said, it was God. Now consider this. The one who made not just the animals, he made the whole universe. Guess what? I speak to him and he speaks to me every day. Like this is, if, if, I'm so glad you're here at camp. I want to introduce you to him this week. I mean, so you talk to an animal. What if you could talk to the, to the God who made them all? You see, I I look at this, and we can make gods to kind of suit us. What, what about commandment number three? You want to know what that one is? Lord's name, in vain. Lord's name in vain. Okay, so you think of that one as like a W? You, just, you know, words. You know, and uh, Bob Roberts as a joke used to say like, you know, when someone takes God's name in vain, you're like, well, like, wow. You know, your lips are wow, <laughs> wow, mom. You know, whenever he kind of make jokes, uh, he's a kids preacher. Anyway, <clears throat> um, you ever take God's name in vain? uh when you know you you think about our culture and it's so normal someone's shocked and they say oh my and use god's name last week in an upgrade of a violin you know i'm at the violin this nice kind of area whatever and kind of getting this different violin for the kids you know we're doing this upgrade exchange thing as they do the violin stuff and And so if they're off tune this week, that might be an excuse, but I don't know. So, but in the process of this crazy, the lady's trying to spell evangelistic and, you know, Frasier evangelistic. She's trying to put all different styles of information within this, you know, and so she's, and she keeps misspelling evangelistic. And again, she's would claim to kind of be a Christian and yet she's misspelling this until finally she says, oh, and she said, Jesus Christ. And then she goes, oh, I'm. I'm like, out of all things you're actually trying to type, talking to a preacher, it's real. And I felt the same way, I'm like, oh, like sick to my stomach. Which made me kind of even wonder, is she really a believer? Because again, if when's the last time you heard someone get mad and say, oh Buddha, or oh Mohammed, you know? Yeah, say that in a Muslim country and see what happens to you. Why is it that God's name is so quickly blasphemed? And you consider this because this is the heartbeat of mankind. And we just use it in an empty way. Actually, you know, the, the, uh, the lady back in the day on the radio, I'm like driving down the road and hear Dr. Laura. You know, remember that lady? And so she, she made a comment about, you know, someone said I take God's name in vain. She said, no, I don't. Yes, you do. No, I don't. And they said, yes, you do. As as you say, oh, my, and use God's name. She goes, well, <laughs> that's not taking God's name in vain. I don't mean anything by it when I say that. And I'm like, <laughs> using God's name in an empty way. Are you, what, are you kidding me? He's the one who made you, and you flippantly use his name? Are you kidding me? He gives you the next breath to breathe, and you flippantly say his name. I mean, do you not realize in the Old Testament, you know, when they were even coming to the point of copying scripture, they would, they would stop with their quill at the name of God. They wouldn't write it. They would throw it away. In a sense, they would, they would then put on clean clothes, wash up, put on clean clothes, come back, brand new quill just to write the name of God. They so hallowed his name. And how do we use it? Commandment number four, it's a Sabbath. Now, that's the one that's kind of a little bit interesting because it's not repeated the same way in the Old Testament as it is in the New, but the idea is that they set aside in a sense for a rest and worship for the Lord, you could say. And so, oof, you know, I think of that. I'd be in Tennessee on the weekends in the summer. What would happen is all the hotels are all filled with people with all their four-wheelers, and everyone's gone every weekend to go to the lake and go four-wheeling, and, and you're kind of like, really? Um, I think commandment number five Honor your father and your mother. See so the little hand that goes up to hold, you know. And even last night, because I talked about, have you? did you ever disobey your parents growing up? Don't lie, that's another one. <laughs> and how many times did you disobey your parents growing up? And you dishonored them. So you're talking about, you're talking about rebellion as a sin of witchcraft, reserving the right to make the final decision in your life. Commandment number six. Okay. Uh, and so you say, well, I haven't, except for remember last night's message. We kind of dealt with that. If you have hatred in your heart, according to First John, you're a murderer in God's eyes. Have you ever hated anyone before? Commandment number seven. Adultery. When you think about this one, you know, Jesus said, you should not commit adultery. He made it very clear and laid it out pretty clear. Calling, calling us back to even Genesis to consider that a man leaves his father and his mother and cleaves to his wife, you know? And so he kind of given us clarity even within marriage because we're not quite sure in our world today. I mean, when the whole marriage stuff came out, actually by culture, there was three men wanting to marry each other. And then another lady at another culture wanted to marry her cat. You know, you pull out God on out the picture, there's no moral compass. And you just kind of do whatever seems to be right in your own eyes. And government's not what dictates what marriage is, God does. So there's an element with even in that whole idea there, Jesus then went on to say, if you look at somebody else, you, you know, and you have those thoughts in your mind, what have you done? You've committed adultery already in your heart. You can can be an adulterer, you can be a, a, and then you think of the number one commodity on the internet, what is it? It's called porn. We live in such a twisted, immoral society with no moral compass. And yet, can I just tell, I tell this to teenagers often, I say, listen girls, if you're dating some guy and you find out he's, he's into porn, then the reality is drop him as quick as you can because there's no way you'll have a lasting marriage at all. He does not care for you at all. He doesn't care for his own future marriage. And yet our world is so bombarding, you know, and then you got commandment number eight. It's, you know what? Thou shalt not steal. So you, <laughs> if you steal, I mean, usually in the culture, you'll go to jail, maybe not in America. And uh, sometimes, but if someone steals from you, what do you call them? A yeah, you thief. Have you ever stolen something before? Even something small? Uh, commandment number nine, bear false witness, slander, lying. Have you ever lied before? Um, what do you call someone who lies? You call them a what? One guy told me, I call them human. And I said, oh, really? They lie to you. You human? <laughs> and then he's like, oh, I guess I'd call him a liar. And I said, yeah, that's what you would call them. A liar. How many lies have you told in your lifetime? Commandment number 10, probably maybe one of the major sins in America. Coveting, gimme, gimme. I want more. The idea of greed, I'm not satisfied where I am. I want more all the time. Okay. I barely scratched the surface in about six minutes. With that, those commands, how do you feel right now with those commands in your own heart before God? How does that make you kind of feel looking at them a little closer? Huh? Guilty. Guilty. Dirty. Ugh. I've had people sometimes shout out, uh, I'm, uh, praise God I'm saved. You know? I'm like, amen, yeah, <laughs> if you're in Christ. And why? Because the law begins to show us a need of a savior, shows us how we're sinful and we need to be rescued. This is, the, if, if you can't get to this nature of the law with a person and they can't see, the, then they can't see their sin. If they can't see their sin, they cannot be saved. There's no way you can be saved. Why is the need for a savior? If you, if you don't really consider your own self as a real sinner, you, you need to understand that. And the weight of sin needs to come heavily upon you. When I think about that, I think of the song Rock of Ages and the very crux of the song, where the person that seems to experience true conversion, what do they say? They say, wash me, Savior, or I die. This is so serious. And the weight of sin is so on you. But here's my question to you. How do you go to a person and you tell them, hey, you know what you are? You're a lying thief and adulterer. Without them making a fist and wanting to punch you in the face, get out of my house, get away from me. Well, come back tomorrow. And I will, (laughs) I'm going to do my best to kind of help you really learn to ask some questions that are real simple questions that in many ways will avoid the argument and allow to really go after the heart. And now a person begins to consider themselves, and actually they end up calling themselves these things, and they begin to see it themselves. And so you can do that. And so tomorrow, I want to try to teach you sort of how to do that. It didn't seem like we got far, but we actually kind of laid a little foundation. Okay, tonight. All right. It's almost time to go. Okay, so, you know, I know you guys are all excited about this launch thing, too, so i got to hurry and finish tonight. All right. I'm teasing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my friends and uh, for just this, this week, and I pray tonight, would you stir our hearts? Use the music to point us to truth through, through the word in song. And then, Lord, use the message to do a work in us. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, we'll let the kids get in here, the teens get in here, and we'll get going.